Okay, good evening, everyone. So let's do the prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. God, our Father, we thank you for calling us here today to be with you and with one another. We thank you for the great gift of our faith, the great gift of our community here, but most importantly, the great gift of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for sending him into the world to save us from our sins, to save us literally from ourselves, because without him, we will not be redeemed. So we thank you for the gift of our redemption and our salvation. We ask you to continue to bless us and guide us throughout this night, that our hearts can be opened and so will our, will our ears be opened to all that you want to speak to us and all, all that you want us to know and to take with us. And on this first Saturday, we entrust our prayers to our blessed mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. Now, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So last week we ended with our, the woman and our Lord encountering, and and she perhaps going to a place where she thinks maybe that the Lord, the man who was who she was speaking with, could be the Messiah. Because he's, because she said, you know, we know that, you know, the anointed one will be coming soon and, and he will tell us everything that we need to know. And then Jesus says, um, I am he who is speaking to you. So for this evening, this worked earlier, <laughs> because I know I'm going to walk around. Let me see. If not, okay. <laughs> it worked earlier. Okay, or maybe it's just this. Is it working? Okay. So this is the description for um, tonight. After speaking with and listening to Jesus, the Samaritan woman left her water jar and went into town. The whole reason she went to the well was to draw water, but now she didn't even want to bring her water jar with her. What happened? What was it? that Jesus may have said that made her abandon her water jar and go into town? And what did she do when she went there? So these are some of the questions that we should have in mind as we continue to explore um, this evening, this last part of the encounter between our Lord and the woman at the well. Okay, conversion and evangelization. So now we'll just read to you the last part of of the passage. So now you, you just close your eyes, but, but keep those two or three questions that we just mentioned in, in mind and, and see if anything strikes you as I'm reading it. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking with you. At that moment, his, his disciples returned and were amazed that he was talking with a woman. But still no one said, what are you looking at? What are you looking for? And why are you taking, talking with her? The woman left her water jar and went into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I have done. Could he possibly be the Messiah? They went out of the town and came to him. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. 
So the, so the disciples said to one another, because someone had brought him some food. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of the one who has sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say in four months the harvest will be here? I tell you, look up and see the fields ripe for the harvest. The reaper is already receiving his payment and gathering crops for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. For here the saying is verified that one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the work, and you are sharing the fruits of their work. Many of the Samaritans of that town began to believe in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me everything I have done. When the Samaritans came to him, they invited him to stay with him, and he stayed with, their, stayed with them for two days. Many more began to believe in him because of his word. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe because of your word, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. So here we ended with this, this climax, really. You know, this woman who was going into in going to um, Sychar to the mountains to go to the well to draw water at noon, you know, in, in shame and embarrassment. And there she encountered a man, a man who was not a Samaritan, but who was a Jew. Who, who asked her for a cup of water. And little did she know that the man that she was talking with was someone that wasn't just there to, to, um, to get water, but someone who was there to give her water, to give her the water of eternal life. But she still had not yet believed. But then uh, after talking with, with him and our Lord explaining to her what it is that he's doing and, and what it is that he had come to offer her, she begins to believe going from calling him sir to a Jew or a Jew and then to a sir and then to Lord and then to a prophet. And now um, possibly the Messiah. And we hear, so now there's a little break. There's about a three or four verse break um, between the encounter of Jesus and the woman. And now there's inserted in between is a little encounter between the disciples and Jesus. Well, why? Because one, well, one, the woman went into town. <laughs> she, you know, but, um, but also there's an important message that our Lord is trying to convey to us here. So here, so here it is. At, the mo at that moment, his disciples returned and were amazed that he was talking with a woman, but still no one said, what are you um, looking for or why are you talking with her? Notice what St. John says. I mean, it's um, what Origen says. No, not a saint, but a church father, Origen. He says, when the disciples arrive, they are amazed. 
For they previously beheld the greatness of the divinity in him. They marveled that so great a man was speaking with a woman. Now, when we hear this in the 21st century, we're thinking, wow, was Jesus really someone who did not like women? Or did the apostles really did not like women? That's not the case. Because we need to read the scriptures in the context in which it was written and in which it was proclaimed and as it was happening. As we have mentioned in, previously, um, in previous conferences, the norm was that talking between a man and woman was is forbidden, especially, especially in public and, and alone. And so they were surprised and amazed that, and, and, and not only that, the disciples had an insider um, perspective. They knew that he was someone divine. And so now they're confused because here's a man, not just a man, but a pretty um, amazing man who can work miracles, a Jewish man. Yet he's talking with not just a Samaritan, but a woman. So they were amazed. They were amazed. But our Lord, of course, here is showing that he transcends all barriers, right? Jew, Samaritan, pagans, whatever. He's not there to condemn. He's only there to redeem. Right? And this um, also um, brings us back to Genesis. That both man and woman were made in the image and likeness of God. Our Lord is reminding us here. Of course he'll talk with a woman. Is she not created in God's image and likeness? Is she not created after my father's image and likeness? Of course she is. So why is there a problem that I am talking with her? And the woman left her water jar and went into the town and said to the people. Before we get into what she said to the people, there are, there are two phrases, three phrases, three action verbs that are action words that I want to highlight. She left her water jar. Remember, she went, the whole reason why she was there was to get water. She didn't get any. <laughs> the whole purpose for why she went is, has been defeated. You know, she, she failed at her one job. She had one job. That was, like, that was to get water. And she didn't do it, right? And she went into town. Went into town. Perhaps... Um, at the possibility of embarrassment and shame going into town to be with the people. And not only that, she talked to them. She talked with them. Think about the dramatic change of this woman from verse 5 and 6 to now. She came alone. She came in embarrassment, in hiding, at a time where there will be no one. And now she is leaving that and going into a place where there's a lot of people and talking with them. What could it have been that made her have this change of heart, this conversion? Right. And St. Augustine says, having heard I that speak with you, is it, it should be, is he? And having received Christ the Lord into her heart, what could she do now but leave her water jar? and run to preach the gospel. 
Brothers and sisters, when we encounter Jesus, just as I had mentioned earlier in, the, in church, when you come to know the Lord, when you come to know him, not just know about him, but when you come to know him and encounter him in the most intimate way, we can do nothing but tell others about that. That's the fruit of an encounter with our Lord. We can just think about our own um, personal experiences. But we have a group of friends, right? We, um, we went out to a nice restaurant last week. That was really good. Let me tell all my friends about it so they can try it and maybe we can go to, together and, and enjoy it. You want to tell people with the good things you've experienced in your life. And why not the gospel? And, and this woman, this pagan woman, this Samaritan, understood that. But yet, she was still not completely there, but she had what she needed to go for, right? She told the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have done. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Everything that she has done. Having her five husbands. Having a man that was not her husband. Her adulterous life. Her sinful life. And she was not afraid to let it known that that man, that man knew Because she knew that that man was not a regular person. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Origen says, throwing her burden, which is the jar, throwing her burden away to make Christ known, she ran to the city and says to those men, come see a man, everything that he has said to me, that I have done. So the jar is a metaphor for our burdens, for our attachments, our anxieties. She threw away her security that she thought would protect her because she realized that will protect me. That can, because that jar will keep me coming back again, again, and shame to get water at noon, to continue to live in life of sin. She knew that that jar needed to be tossed away because she had met Jesus. Because Jesus has agreed and has said that he will give her the life that comes with the eternal living waters that he wants to give to her. So she no longer needed the jar. That's why she left it. She left it because she no longer needed it. Because that jar filled only the water that will quench her physical thirst. She now had the remedy for it. Not just the remedy, but something much more. Remedy for her soul. And because of her great witness, her great courage and bravery, her great zeal to spread the gospel, this is a fruit. They went out of the town and came to him. 
And this next um, um, quote by St. John Chrysostom, I think um, it puts the disciples, it puts the apostles to shame a little bit. And you will see why. He says, as the apostles left their nets on being called, so she leaves her water jar to do the work of an evangelist by calling not one or two people like Andrew and Philip did, but a whole city, a whole town, right? Because if you remember early in the gospel, um, Andrew um, sees our Lord and he, he tells Nathaniel or Philip, you know, oh, you know, I met someone who might be the prophet or someone, or might be the Messiah. And so he brings one person. But St. John Christmas is saying, she didn't just do one or two people. She brought the entire town with her, the entire city with, with her. So, so in some way, think about this again. St. John Chrysostom, the early church, writing something that was so drastically countercultural. Countercultural. A woman, a woman, he says, a Samaritan woman outdid the apostles. So if anyone tells you that the Catholic Church hates women, you say you're wrong. Mary's a woman. And where is she in the life of our church? The Samaritan woman wasn't even Christian yet. And St. John Chrysostom speaks so highly of her. Because our Lord has come to break down those barriers. Never was it. And from the beginning, that there was this inequality that God has created. God has made them both in his image and likeness. But it's because of human sin that we have come to this. So the church never, has never in the past, does not now, and never will in the future, say that we're not equal and made in the image and likeness of God. Again, he continues... She was not prevented by any concern for losing face from spreading around what had been said to her. For the soul, once kindled by the divine flame, does not consider glory or shame or any other earthly consideration, only the flame that consumes it. She no longer is scared of running people, running to people and, and then making faces at her. She's, she's no longer afraid of people looking down at her. She's no longer afraid of people um, speaking behind her back saying, oh, that's, that's the one who has had five husbands. And I, and I think she's, she's with someone that's not her husband. She said, that doesn't matter anymore. She is not concerned with her reputation. For the soul once kindled by the divine flame only considers the flame that consumes it. Brothers and sisters, are we kindled by the divine flame? Do we allow the grace of our baptism and confirmation to move us, to set us on fire for the love of the gospel, like this woman? Or do we hide it? Are we prevented by any concern for losing face? Are we ashamed to spread the gospel, the good news to our co-workers, to our friends who may not be Christian, to family members who might be at odds with the church? Are we 
afraid of causing that discord. So we rather not say, but we must. If we are enkindled by the flame of love, the divine flame, we can't keep it to ourselves. Gifts are meant to be given. And the gifts and our faith is a gift. It's meant to be given. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. The disciples are still thinking of earthly things. Eat. You know, this, you know it's, it's a joke at the seminary because usually I do not eat in the refectory, which is our cafeteria. Because they only, you know, the, the, their menu selection isn't exactly what I am used to eating. And so, and so I usually I have some food um, that I may have purchased in the beginning of the week or made at home and brought to seminary and, and I eat that in my room. And whenever someone says, you know, Phil, are, are you coming down to the refectory? Someone says, no, he has food of which you do not know. <laughs> and so, so they always quote John when talking about me. Um, but of course, um, Jesus was speaking about, about the spiritual food, the spiritual life. And, and think about this. And the disciples who walked with him, who saw him day in and day out, they're still concerned about the earthly things. And the church fathers further uh, later on really um, um, shames the, the uh, um, uh, disciples with a quote later on. But Origen says, Jesus replenishes himself from the Father. That the Father's words, the Father's will is history, as we will hear now or in the next verse. Okay. So the disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of the one who has sent me and to finish his work. Again, think back to um, the first Sunday of Lent. What was the gospel? Anyone remember? The temptations of our Lord. When the devil said to Jesus, oh, you're hungry. Turn these rocks into, the, into loaves of bread. He says, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. I don't work miracles for myself. He, if you notice that, every miracle that he has performed is never for himself. It's for a sick person a dead person, a dying person, someone who was caught in adultery, a blind person. Tomorrow, I think at our parish here, you will hear the raising of Lazarus. No, no, I'm sorry. You will not because that's only for the scrutinies. Oh, I should know this. I did a, a reflection for the first time. Tomorrow you will hear the woman caught in adultery at, at this parish. But if you go into a different parish who have catechumens, we're getting ready for baptism, you will hear the raising of Lazarus. So, St. Augustine, you know, this St. Augustine really 
shames him again. He says, it is no wonder that the woman did not understand what he has said about the water when you consider the disciples did not understand about the food either, right? How can you expect someone who, does, who knew nothing of Jesus to understand immediately when the disciples themselves don't even understand, right? So again, making that comparison. Um, and St. John Chrysostom says something. He says, he calls the salvation of men and women his food showing his great desire that we should be saved. His desire for our salvation is as great as our desire for food. If you, if you really fasted on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, you will feel hungry. <laughs> right? You will not have any food in the morning, or maybe you have a little cracker, and then you, you are hungry. You walk by someone's desk, there's candy. Oh, oh, I can't. It's Friday, right? You was, oh, you know, grab some carrots. Oh, I can't. You feel hunger. Or if you're in, if you're hiking, or if you're going anywhere that has, you know, that you're dehydrated, you'd feel the need for water. It's a great need. It's a great desire for it. And St. John Chrysostom says that just as we need food, so our Lord needs, he has the need and great desire to save us. That to save us is his food. Think about that. To see us redeemed, to see us go to heaven is what sustains our Lord. Think about that. That's his food, his sustenance. It's a salvation of souls. Talk about sacrifice. Right? Continuing with the, past, with the passage. Do you not say in four months the harvest will be here? I tell you, look up and see the fields ripe for the harvest. Now, if you read commentaries, um, you will hear that the harvest is actually much closer than four months, um, historical, you know, timeline speaking, but that's not. And so you would think, you know, oh, maybe there's, there, there's a, a, a lot of time left. We can still um, fertilize and plant and water and grow. But he says, I tell you, look up and see the fields ripe for the harvest. But yet it's here. There's an urgency. And the church father says that um, look up. In some versions, it's the lift of your eyes. Look up. Keep your eyes on what is above. Keep your eyes on God. Keep your eyes on what our Lord is saying. And he says that the fields that's ripe for the harvest is about the salvation. The great number of men and women who is ready to receive the word. And this is um, directly related to what will happen in the next few verses with the Samaritan people. Remember, the whole town went. He's telling them, these people that are coming to you and will come to you soon, they're ready. They're ready to receive 
the good news? Are you ready to preach it? Are you ready to show them? Right. The reaper is already receiving his payment and gathering crops for eternal life so that the sower and reaper can rejoice together. For here the saying is verified that one sows and another reaps. I can always, this line always strikes me because as a kid growing up in, at, at home, we, we have the, the Chinese um, like altars to your ancestors because my families were not Catholic. And I can remember um, on one of the plaques, it says this. It says, um, your ancestors plant things. They sow the seeds. The descendants reap them. In the same way, our Lord is saying, the one who sows is not the one who reaps. And so who is, is, our, Lord, who is our Lord talking about? The church father says that the one who sows are Moses and the prophets. The one who reaps are the apostles and disciples. By extension, all of us. That Moses and Elijah laid the foundation because everything, everything that they were talking about was pointing to Christ. So they were sowing these seeds, right? The prophets being sent to the Israelites, repent, turn from sin, go back to God. A prophet like me will come again. You're planting the seeds. And those who reap it are the disciples and all of us. And the seed then, who is the seed? What is the seed? The seed is a, is a word of God. The seed is a word of God made flesh. Because he literally lays out his life. He literally goes into the ground, right? His blood drips to the ground. And he, and, and he tells us in the parable of, um, of the wheat, right? Of the grain of wheat. If a grain of wheat does not fall to the ground and die, it remains just a grain of wheat. But if it dies, it will bear much fruit. He is a grain. He's a grain that will bear much fruit. I send you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the work. You are sharing the fruits of the work. How true for us today. We were not um, hiding in the fear of martyrdom as the early church were. We enjoy, we, we can reap joyfully. We can reap from the comfort of our own homes. Only because those who came before us suffered and died and sown for us the seeds of the church. Right? And we must always remember that. That those who came before us really, really gave great witness so that we can be here. And even just think about our, our own parish community here at Holy Redeemer. A hundred years ago, we were not here, right? Are we in our, in our 80th, 85th, 82nd or something like that? 87 year. 80 years ago, or 87 years ago, this place was, there was no, there was no gospel. 
80 something. There was no gospel here. Well, there were, but no one was ready to sow it or reap it. But yet, you know, Monsignor Cavanaugh and, and the Archbishop from, from where I forget where they came and they used to gather all the people from China who were Catholic and they, were, they found a few. But from that few, they catechized more and more families, some of whom are still with us today, right? Or, or their relatives at least. That's where we're reaping the fruit that they have sown. Brothers and sisters, let's not reap it in vain. Let's always be grateful. Each time we come into this parish, we come onto this ground, think of all of those who have come before us who have made it possible. Many of the Samaritans of that town began to believe in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me everything I have done. So notice here that, this, that they believed just by testimony. You can help someone come to faith. You just need to have the desire to. You don't need to be a priest. You don't need to be a sister. You don't need to be a campus teacher. You could, you know, sometimes I think the, the laity, um, the laity forgets, forgets the importance of, of, of their mission. Do you know that um, the lay people go to places that no priest can ever go? Their workplaces, their families, all parts of the world. Priests can't go there, but you can. And so the saying is always, um, the priest confects the Eucharist. The Eucharist signifies us. And the lay people signifies the world. So never under underestimate the, the power that you have. You have the power to signify the whole world by virtue of your baptism. You have that in schools, in workplaces, wherever it is that you may be. You have not only the power, but you have the mission and obligation to signify them. Something that priests and bishops and the Pope can never do, but only you can by virtue of your vocation. So don't, don't ever think, that, oh, you know, priests and bishops are, no, you, you are the ones that are doing the heavy work out in the fields. When the Samaritans came to him, they invited him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Okay. They came to Jesus and they invited him to stay. What is this? What could this be foreshadowing? Think. Luke's gospel. Stay. Stay, stay for a few days or stay with us. Go ahead. It's when like Jesus resurrects. Uh-huh. And then he comes to disciples. 
on the road to Emmaus. Yeah. That's right. Stay with us. And does he? Yes, he does. And so, brothers and sisters, oh, I'll read this quote and, and, and then we'll talk. For Jesus remains with those who ask, and especially when those who ask him come out of their city and come to Jesus. We need to ask Jesus to stay. Jesus will never barge into your lives. Oh, let me come in. Let me come in. No, no, no. Because he knows that for you to really receive him, to really receive his love, you must receive it on your own free will. He won't barge in. So we must ask him. Earlier in adoration, Jesus won't push himself on us, but we'll, are we open to receiving him? Right? And just one little Old Testament Reference, who, who else um, was, was asked to go um, from his native place and, um, and go to a foreign place? Do you remember? Daniel. Not Daniel, maybe, but someone even much earlier. Uh, could be. Yeah, well, well, he did it. He did not want to go. <laughs> he ran away, but he, eventually, yes. But Abraham, God said, Abraham, leave your family, leave your father's land and go to a place that I will call your own. And what happened when he did? He became the father of all nations. We became his descendants because he was open to the call of God in his life. Are we open? to the call of God in our lives. And just because maybe we're older, God still has a call for us, right? God's still calling us. In every state of our life, we have a mission. What is it? Ask the Lord. Ask him to stay with you for a few days and teach you what it is. Many more began to believe in him because of his word. St. John says, they acknowledge Christ not just as one, one of the many Christ, but as the Savior. Because remember, they had was waiting for many prophets. And there, there are many great prophets. But they knew that he was the one. Not just one among many, but he was the Savior. He was the prophet. He was the one which was the, who which they were looking for, waiting for. And they did so. They came to believe even more so because of what? Of his word. Because of their encounter with Jesus. So our testimony can only lead them to Jesus himself. Our testimony can get them, so to speak, in the door. But that getting them in the door will only open them up to the one who calls us. That's our Lord. In the last verse. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe because of your word, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the word, of the world. And we just encountered him. 
in church, in the Eucharist. And so eyewitnesses are important. We're, we're not eyewitnesses to our Lord's life or his resurrection. We're not. We weren't there. But because of their eyewitnesses' accounts, we now come to believe because of the word of God, of Jesus himself. And we have come to faith. Because it's each time we receive communion and we, and we hear the body of Christ, you say, amen. You're saying, I believe. I believe. You're saying this. And so, conclusion, reflection, a few questions for us to carry on in our Lenten season. What are the areas in our lives that we need to abandon so we may live freely? What are those water jars that are keeping us from running to the Lord? What are they? What do we need, what do we need to let go of? And what is keeping us, us from letting it go? Do we think they give us security? Is it because we have mis misplaced our security in those things instead of in the Lord? Do we believe that Jesus and his divine flame can really overcome all those fears and anxieties that plague us, that weigh us down, that keep us from running? to tell people about Jesus? Do we believe in him? Do we believe in his saving work and his word? So brothers and sisters, our Lord is inviting us today to leave our water jars at the well. It's probably very heavy. Some might be heavier than others, but it weighs you down. It weighs you down. And our Lord is inviting us to let go of those water jars. Leave them there because he has something to give to you that won't weigh you down, but will free you. He wants to give you something that doesn't weigh you down, but that will that, make you want to run. Run to tell others so they too may have this freedom. So brothers and sisters, when we leave behind those jars at the well, and run with Jesus in our hearts, our lives will not and cannot ever be the same. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you. We thank you for inviting us to, to be with you and to get to know you so that we too may leave behind our, our jars of, of water, our jars of whatever it is that keep us down. We ask you to give us the grace and the courage to leave those things that weigh us down behind us, to leave them at the foot of your cross, to leave them at the foot of the altar, so that we may walk and run lively and uninhibited, so that we may live truly, in your life, in the life that you have come to give to us. We ask you to bless us and our families and all those who do not believe in you and all those who are, are still holding on to their jars, that they will come to see that you have come to give them something else, something better. And may our witness 
May our testimony lead them to you. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 Father and Son, please All right. That's all. Thank you.